acres of land and let's see what God's going to do. So the first thing I did after praying and accepting the call was I went to a conference that the denomination put on, on new church development, and Glenn McDonald was one of the speakers at that conference. And so I just soaked up everything that he said that day, and then I got back to my little tiny office on 12 acres of land, and I thought, I still have no clue about what to do. Our denomination had no coaching program at that time. Now we do, which is cool. So I just picked up the phone and called Glenn, and I said, Glenn, I was with you um, like a month ago at a conference, and um, you spoke to my heart, and I was shocked that he remembered my name. And I said, I have no clue about what to do. And we talked for a minute, and he said, would you have any time just to come up and visit with us? And I said, I would love to do that. So I came up one weekend, y'all were celebrating your 10-year anniversary. And um, Glenn put me up in Dave Ober's house, and he was so gracious. And Dave Ober has the largest eight-track collection in the universe. And some of you are so young, you're going, eight tracks? What is that? A long time ago, y'all, we used to listen to music on something about this big that we would plug into our cars. Um, And then when there was a break that weekend, um, Dave said, you've got an option this afternoon. This was Saturday afternoon. You can either drink pop here in my home. And growing up in the South, I had no idea what pop was. So I had to ask him. And, and I said, oh, you mean Coke? And he said, yes. And so um, he said, you can drink pop and watch TV. Or you can join me in the small group out at Tom Waits Farm, Balin Hay. And I thought, oh, drinking pop and watching TV or Balin Hay. I'll choose Balin Hay. And so I went out and baled hay with a group of men at Tom Waits Farm. And I experienced men sharing their lives and their faith that started changing my way of looking at church. And then we had this spaghetti meal at Tom's house and was so touched by his generosity and his grace that I thought, I want to be a part of building a church that will have men and women like this. And so now here I am many years later in worship with you. We worship an amazing God. And I thank you for all you've done to enhance my ministry um, for the kingdom of God. So let us pray. Oh, holy God, gracious Lord, you've given us the gift of life in Jesus and the promise of eternal life. And God, you know our hearts. Oh my goodness, you know them. You know where we mess up. You know where we struggle. But God, you know where we soar and where we have triumph. And God, what we're doing right now is the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're giving you you all, all of it, God. 
We're giving you um, our worst and our best, and we're just simply praying again that you're going to use what we're offering. You're going to continue to transform us so that, so that we can join you in your ministry and mission of transforming this world, changing this world, changing lives, changing communities. God, um, that's what you're doing. That's what we want to be about. So as we open your word, God, bless us and show us your will and way. And we pray these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like for us to read together the scripture on the screens. It's just a little bit of scripture out of Romans 10. So let's let's read together. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm going to say it again. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I don't know about you, but when I take off my shoes and I look at my feet, and I do that several times a day, um, so I mean, it's just like you do it in the morning, and I'm a runner, and still at this age, I still get out there and plod. Um, actually ran almost four miles in your beautiful um, um, neck of the woods, and I figured out the trails, and oh my goodness, I could have run forever, but um, I had a dinner engagement, but it was amazing. So I could live here. Um, I'm getting sidetracked. Two nights in a row, um, I've had ice cream. So the first night I got in late, I should have gotten in earlier and um, checked in at the inn. What a special place. And, um, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to walk the town. And oh my goodness, what a gorgeous place. Did I say this? I could live here. Um, but um, I saw the ice cream shop. I love ice cream. So I stopped in and got ice cream and it was amazing. And so had dinner with Jerry and Scott and Lynn last night and I got back and I was walking Zinesville and I thought, you didn't run far enough today to eat more ice cream, Ray. And so I passed the scoop and guess what I did? I got ice cream. So two days in a row. So if I lived here, I won't say. So I look at my feet a good bit because I'm taking off my shoes and putting on running shoes or I'm putting on hiking shoes. And, and when I look at my feet, um, y'all, they are not beautiful. They're actually ugly. Um, they're just all twisted and they've, I don't know, it's just years of hiking and running have just beat them up. So when I take my shoes and socks off, the first thing I think is not, hey man, this is a beautiful set of feet. Oh, wow. Maybe you do with your feet, I'm not sure. But so what's Paul doing here? Beautiful are the feet that bring good news. That means Don's feet are beautiful, Jerry's feet are beautiful, Amanda's feet are beautiful, Lynn's feet are beautiful, Scott's feet are beautiful. They're all beautiful because they bring good news. What's Paul getting at? 
Well, Paul's actually borrowing from the prophet Isaiah. It's actually Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah is a wonderful passage of scripture. I wish we could just walk through Isaiah today, but Jerry and Scott would be really upset, and so would you, because we would still be here tonight. But just quickly, quickly, Isaiah. Isaiah has, has really three main sections. The first part is all about judgment. Oh my goodness, I hate the first part. It's all about how you've messed up. You've just messed up royally. You're in exile. Your lives are a mess you're wrecked. It's your fault. You've messed up. Oh my goodness. Have you read it? Yes. Oh my goodness. You've messed up. That's a word for the church because we've messed up. That's another sermon though. We've messed up and we need to hear those words. But then it moves into the second section and it's it's a section of comfort. Oh, it's beautiful words of comfort about God's love about God's call upon our lives. You've messed up and you're a mess, but I'm still gonna use you. And that's where we find these words. Beautiful are the feet that bring good news. I'm still gonna use you in messed up lives. You don't think there's ever a way back into what life used to be like but I'm gonna use you. Beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Then that third section, don't wanna keep you hanging. It's all about hope. Beautiful are the feet that bring good news. What does that mean? Well, when we go into this community, our feet are beautiful because they're bringing good news. A part of what it means to bring good news is that we're about God's justice. And oh my goodness, there's justice all through scripture. That's actually a word that we don't like to talk about and hear much, but um, we're about God's justice. And what does that mean? Well, we're about um, um, eliminating poverty, not because it's a good thing to do, but it's because um, it's a gospel thing to do, that where people are poor, we wanna help them have the life goods they need to flourish. And um, how are we bringing good news in the community with justice? It's about um, fighting racism. It's about including all people in the body of Christ so that we know that we're all one and paying attention to the structures that are racist and um, doing the kinds of Holy Spirit work that are going to dismantle them and bring them down because God wants all God's children to be together and doesn't want any barriers keeping us apart. But then there's something else about bringing good news. We have actions, yes, but we have words to speak. We have hope to share. And that's where we Presbyterians struggle, don't we? With those words to share about God's good news in Christ. That's where we stumble, and that's where we feel like we need training. We need training, Ray. Train us to share the good news of the gospel. But what I'm here to tell you is that you've already got your training. It's already going on. Y'all with me so far? Here's the deal. Our feet are not going to be beautiful bringing good news into this community, into Carmel and Zinesville and Frankfurt and Indy, unless there's a sending body. It's what Paul's saying in the scripture. There has to be a sending body. The body of Christ is essential. It is the sending body for God's mission. God's mission of justice and hope in our communities. So how does that work in the body of Christ? Every time we gather, y'all, 
every time we gather. Every time we gather. It's a time for nurturing and equipping. Every time we gather. Session meetings, yes, even session meetings. Session meetings, they're a time for equipping and nurturing for God's mission. Worship, oh my goodness, of course. Every time we gather in worship, yes, it's experience God's forgiving love. Yes, it's to get a break from the craziness of the world. Yes, it's to have a better sense of how we can be better parents and even better children. Yes, it's to get a sense of how we can be people of influence in our communities. But it's more than that. It's all of this. But it's also being equipped and nurtured to be missionaries in Zionsville, in Carmel, in Frankfurt, in Indy. We're all missionaries. We're being sent. Every time we gather in our home groups, and if you're not in a home group, you need to get in a home group. I'm serious. This isn't, home groups aren't options, y'all. The Christianity is not kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to live my own life. That's why we're struggling. Because Christianity is just basically an option. It's one of many things to define our lives when it's called to be the one defining point in our lives. It defines everything about us. And so in these home groups, it's a time for us to get to know people on the way. We don't all have figured out. I don't have it figured out. Jerry doesn't have it figured out. Scott doesn't have it figured out. Don doesn't have it figured out. Amanda doesn't have it figured out. Lynn doesn't have it figured out. But together we have a better sense of this gospel community because we're all fallen creatures and we all need to be forgiven. We all need to be in spaces in which we can share our lives and say, hey, I messed up here. Hold me accountable. Help me experience God's renewing grace. We all need a place in which we can say, life has just slugged me in the gut. I cannot believe this horrific thing has happened to me and I don't know what to do. I can't even pray. Have you ever been there? I can't even pray. I need someone to pray for me until I can pray again. But these fellowship groups, these home groups are also places where we've been nurtured and we're being equipped to join God in God's mission which is justice and sharing the hope we have. When we're in our Bible studies, it's not just knowing the word of God, but it's being transformed by the word of God, allowing the word of God to change our hearts so that we can join God in God's mission. In everything we do, even when we're eating a meal out there, it's about being nurtured and equipped to be God's beautiful feet sharing good news living the gospel, doing the gospel, but also sharing the gospel. We don't need training to share our faith. You're already training one another. Are y'all with me? Hey, I love dogs. I do. They're just, um, man, unconditional love. I've got a beautiful dog, Jane. I love sharing about Jane. We get a puppy. We love sharing about puppies. We didn't have to go through a training class to share about puppies, did we? Puppy destroyed my couch, but I still love my puppy. And we take pictures of the couch little Rex destroyed, right? Um, 
Don't have to be trained. Oh, look at my grandchildren. I've got seven. I don't. That's just someone I know has seven. Um, Look at them. Aren't they beautiful? We don't have to be trained for that. It's just good news as we're in communities that are equipping and nurturing us. The good news just, it just flows. It's second nature. It just spills from our lives. Let me just give you, y'all with me? Give you a quick, quick example. Um, I have two, two daughters. They're grown. Oh my goodness. They grow up fast. I love them. And this is, I hate to say this, men, but um, it was just probably about five years ago that I realized something. And um, my wife, Judy, so glad I realized it, that the best thing I've ever done in my life, besides marrying her, is to be the daddy of Ashley and Marion. Best thing I've ever done in my life is to be their daddy. To be their daddy. And so um, Ashley, a couple years ago, said, um, Mom and Daddy, um, Justin and I want to get married. And we love Justin. And so I said, well, Justin's going to need to talk with us. So, so Justin, um, he, he made the call, and um, he was a little scared. I mean, he called us Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and now he calls us Ray and Judy. Um, he said, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, um, just want to let you know I love Ashley and um, want to marry her. And, um, and so, um, well... Um, I hope y'all approve and would like your approval. We want to get married. You know, just kind of um and on like that. And, and so I said, oh, we love you and we're so glad. Yeah, we're glad to have, we'll be glad to have you in the family. So, so after that phone call, I, I um, emailed Ashley this long email just describing what a joy she's been and what a gift she's been and how she's changed my life. And um, on and on it went. And, and the regrets I've had as a dad that I didn't spend as much time with her as I should have because I thought my work was more important than hanging out with her. I just have to admit that and call it out because that's the way it was. And so it was just an email like that. And so then she called me a couple of days after receiving that email and said, Daddy, oh my goodness, that email made me cry. I just cried and cried and cried. I love you so much. Thank you. And then she said, and, and my wedding, when, when I get married, don't make me cry. I don't want you to make me cry. So so it's now wedding, wedding weekend, and um, it was one of those event weddings. And as a family, we've been going to St. Simon's Island, Georgia for 35 years to, to just relax and renew. And, and so that's kind of our girl's second home, and, and she wanted her pastor to marry, marry her there. And so we said, that's great. And so I don't know why, but, but the wedding weekend started on a Thursday with a marsh tour on a boat. And, and we were getting to know family that we'd never seen on the other side and all those kinds of things and got through it conversation, laughter, and no crying, and got through Friday, um, rehearsal, rehearsal dinner, lots of stories, lots of laughter, no crying, and then Saturday morning, Ashley and I are doing what we typically did when she was um, in the home with me, is we'd, we'd go out on Saturdays to have coffee, and um, so we we're drinking coffee, and um, she said, um, Daddy, this has been so great, and I'm a little anxious. We talked about her anxiety and how it was normal. And, and so she said, next time I see you'll be um, like um, 4.45 before we walk in at five. And I said, I know, I can't believe it's here. And then she looked at me and she said, remember, don't make me cry. <laughs> so I said, I'm not gonna make you cry. And so um, there we were standing in, right in front of the chapel, getting ready to go in, listening for that music that would say, it's time to start walking down the aisle. And, so um, 
I just had a couple things to do. I knew what they were. And so we start walking down the aisle. And, and then it just, it just slipped out, y'all. We're about a quarter of the way down the aisle. And I just leaned over and I just said, Ashley, um, I just want you to know how much I love you. And what a joy you've been and are. And you've changed my life. And that's just what rolled out. And um, about halfway down, I heard this. And then um, when we got about right here on the second row, there's Judy sitting here, and there's my seat there. And um, it's full-blown sobbing, just sobbing. And Judy looks at me like, what have you done? And I'm giving her that look. I've given her my whole marriage. I don't really know. Um, And so then I do what I'm supposed to do, put her arm in Justin's and say her mother and I do, and I take my seat. Then Ashley turns around and says, it's all good, y'all. I love Justin. These are good tears. So that's the good news. It just just flows. And so then how do we share it? I mean, it's authentic. We share it in our own authentic way and not some way someone else has shown us. I I grew up in fundamentalist churches, and and for evangelism, y'all, I hate to say this, but I was a part of of men and women who would go onto street corners with bullhorns and would yell at people, you are wrong and you're going to hell and you're ugly and God hates you. And I would remember as a kid thinking, ah, I don't think that's working. And so, but I would not dare say that because that would not have gone over well with the group. And I was savvy enough as a kid to know that. And then I also, in my young adult years, explored other ways of sharing the faith, like writing stuff on napkins. And that's fine and good, but it was not who I am. And so where I am in sharing my faith is I need to get to know you and have a relationship with you. And then I start sharing with you about my faith and how God has changed my life. And um, my brother, I have two brothers. My youngest brother's an atheist, and he's an atheist because of the way in which we were raised, a religion based on hate. And he doesn't want anything to do with it. And so he's younger than I am, has more energy than I do, And so it's usually about one o'clock in the morning that he says, tell me again why you are a believer. And I always start with reformed theology and y'all are going bad move. I know, but I think our theology is marvelous. And then I talk about what God has done in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of what I think is a really good apologetic, he looks at me and says, I still don't believe. And how does that make you feel, the evangelism guy for a denomination that you can't even convert your own brother? Aren't brothers great? (laughs) And what I've started doing now is I look at him and I say, Marcus, Marcus, but I see Jesus in you. I've always seen Jesus in you. What do you mean? Well, you remember when your neighbor's house burned down and they were renting it and they didn't have renter's insurance and they lost everything. What did you do? 
And he just kind of shook his head, bowed his head. I said, you got a plastic jug and you went around the neighborhood and you collected money for them. I see Jesus in you, Marcus Jones. And that's where our conversation begins now. I see Jesus in you. Y'all, we all have We all have a faith story of God's transforming love in our lives. Our lives are changing because of Jesus and Jesus alone, because of what this church is about and its love for Jesus and its desire to serve him. Some of us have a story of we were people without hope, but because of Jesus, we are more hopeful. Y'all, that's your story to share with your neighbor who is hopeless. And some of us have a story of faith that we had a hard time letting go and forgiving and receiving forgiveness. But because of this church and Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, we are a people who can let go more and let God more. And we can forgive and receive forgiveness in ways we've never been able to. That's our story. And there are people who are holding on who need to know there's a way out. Are y'all with me? Oh my goodness, and this is, I, I have had a good life, but I didn't grow up with a good dad. My dad did the very best he could, but he was a tormented man, and um, he scared the living daylights out of his wife, my mama, and his children. And um, I was able to reconcile with him before he died, and he realized um, What a bad dad he'd been. And he was so apologetic. But I never had a good father that I could go to and say, hey, dad, what do you do here? How would you do this? I had a dad um, that I was scared to death of. And um, one of the things I wrote in my letter to Ashley was, you showed me that I would hurt you in some normal ways because I have hurt you and I'm so sorry, but I would never hurt you in the way in which my dad hurt me. And you have shown me how to be a dad. But here's the other part of it. It's the church in Jesus that allowed me to see a father that I could depend on. And that changed my life. And I've had a ministry over the years with men who grew up with daddies who couldn't be good daddies for whatever reason. And that's been a way for me to bear witness to the faith and to allow men to come into the faith. Are y'all with me? We gotta start closing. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So why, why are we ascending body? Why is everything that we're about here at ZPC nurturing and equipping us to be about God's mission, to be God's beautiful feet, sharing good news. It's for this reason, and this reason alone. There are people in Zinesville, there are people in Carmel, Frankfurt, wherever you live, in Indy, who actually do not know right now, they have no clue right now, that there is a God who can be called upon, who can help them in their time of need who can help them. They've just moved into the community and they know no one. 
Who can help them? They are addicted to meth and don't know what to do. Who can help them? They're trying to raise a family because their spouse just left them and they have no clue about what to do. You can be called upon. They have no idea. I've lost a loved one and I am lost and they have no idea. There is a God who can help and who can be called upon. They're all over the place. And we're called to be the beautiful feet that God's gonna use to reach them. I love Romans. I think it's interesting that Paul spells out the entire gospel, God's saving grace and how we're to respond in one long letter to Rome, the church in Rome, the seat of the empire. He gives a very different way to put your life together in the seat of the empire. For the first eight chapters, it's all about God's justifying love and grace in Jesus, all that God has done for us to set us free. And then in 12 through 16, it's how we're to respond to God, not in the ways of the world, but in the ways of Christ. It's beautiful. So read it this afternoon. 12 through 16, it's our response to God's grace. But then in 9 through 11, read it. Paul is wrestling with people who do not know yet that Jesus is the Messiah. And he basically says, God is in charge but his heart is breaking over people who do not know that the Messiah has come and can be called upon and will help you no matter where you are or what you're doing. Our beautiful feet are being sent to people like that. I'm gonna close with this. Y'all, this is the best news in the world. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we have a full life now and the promise of eternal life. No one else, no one else is coming for us but Jesus. Why is that? Because no one else got up out of a grave, y'all. He got up body and soul. Everything of him got up. Not a bit of him was left in the grave. All of him got up and he's alive and he promises us that life that death can't take it away from us and it's forever and it's for everyone. It's for everyone. No one else is coming. No other tradition is coming. No other religion is coming. It doesn't mean we beat them up, but we bear witness. No one else is coming to give us what we need most which is life and fulfillment and love. I wanna close with this. Y'all, I love America, I do. But America ain't coming for us. America will not save us. Only Jesus will save us. The Republican Party will not save us. Ain't coming for us. The Democrats ain't coming for us. Someone said you left out the libertarians. I'm going to include them. The libertarians are not coming for us. Only one person's coming for us, and it's Jesus. And y'all in this community, we've got to be Jesus people. People have got to see Jesus because there are people here, right here in Zionsville, that don't know there's a God who can be called upon in their time of need. And so we're equipping and sending beautiful feet to share that good news that Jesus has them.
Jesus has already come and he's ready to enter their hearts too. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, what a, an amazing love you've given us in your son. We love you so much and you keep changing our hearts. Allow this love to, to spread through Zionsville and around this community so that all your children will know that you can be called upon and they will claim you. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Let's stand together. It's easy to sing this song and clap, but I want to invite you to remember that we are uh, the light that goes out as we sing this song, that God is going to build.